broadcasting on a Tascam DRO5 on I-70, somewhere in Colorado. This is Campus Church Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Darrell. This is episode 37, Go Home and Women Evangelists. Hoping and hope that he might see it grow. Knowing that the harvest might well come before the bloom. That's the All Saved Freak Band bring us in with The Sower, and this is the Campus Church Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage and equip you in the work of evangelism on the flfnetwork.com, crosspolitik.com. My website is campuspreacher.com, and I am currently in Colorado heading up to uh, Idaho. I will be speaking at um, CRF, which is Collegiate Reform Fellowship, on Thursday night at the University of Idaho. So if you're in the greater Moscow area and uh, looking to hear from me in person, I will be there. It's uh, Thursday night, 7 o'clock. Unfortunately, I don't know where it is. Uh, so maybe go to Facebook, go to Collegiate Reform Fellowship. I actually am there and uh, the invitation, and I don't see actually where I'm speaking. So uh, hopefully... Uh, you can find me. Uh, Moscow is not that big, so just walk around until you hear me. And uh, so it's coming off the weekend. Uh, my Browns, once again, are a debacle, and that usually ruins my Sunday nights, Mondays. And so I'm trying to figure out how I stop caring. Um, I know it's completely irrational that I allow the Cleveland Browns to affect my mood, but they do manage to uh, their losses do bother me. And I think it was the hype. Uh, for years, I was like, oh, well, they just stink. And uh, then I think I bought into the hype, and it was the excitement and then the disappointment that uh, has uh, ruined this. But n- nonetheless, uh, the campus preaching has gone well, despite uh, what my Browns are doing. So yesterday, actually, so Sunday, I left uh, Alabama, stopped in Oklahoma on Tuesday or on Monday to preach. And there's actually someone else already preaching. And you know you have... Um, a job you're not proud of. Like, I love what I do, but I also know that, like, it's kind of run by wackos. Like, and I, I've probably mentioned this a handful of times before on the podcast, but it's almost like I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to tell people what I do because the immediate image is Westboro Baptist Church. And so I pull up uh, to a school and there's a guy out there and my immediate response is, Oh no! And sure enough, it was a bit of an oh no. He had a fluorescent orange shirt on, go and send no more on the front. I didn't get to read what the back was. Uh, and to be honest, I, I did not even see him holding a Bible or one sitting on the ground. So I'm not even sure if he broke out the Bible. Um, I, I didn't really listen to him. I kind of sat off on the side, was able to interact with uh, basically students. So the one thing I appreciated about it, I was able to sit down and interact with students for about uh, three and a half, four hours. And you're going to hear a little bit of that conversation because what we're going to discuss today is... Uh, kind of the Beth Moore go home comment, women preachers. Um, it's obviously an issue and some students at the end of the day who are Christians asked me about it. And so the reality of it is, is that uh, women preachers, uh, the issue is not going to go away anytime soon. We're, we're in an egalitarian culture. We're in a feminist culture. And that's going to tie into the idea of women being preachers and stuff like that. So I was asked about that yesterday. I'm going to play a clip of how I kind of go about addressing it, which may or may not be helpful to you. But I'm also asked it oftentimes in the context of should women be open-air preachers or how do I feel about women being open-air preachers? And to be honest with you, I'm a little bit torn on the idea um, and uh, because I don't see it as pulpit preaching, um, straight up feeding Christ's sheep or preaching to um, the church. So since I don't see 
open-air preaching as that. I see it as predominantly evangelistic. Um, I'm far more open to the idea of women being open-air preachers than I am to women being pulpit preachers or pastors and things like that or, or elders in a church. Um, yet within that, um, I, I also do think there's very real practical logistical things of what it means to be a woman um, that does not always come across well in open-air preaching. And I kind of brush on that in uh, this discussion with these men. Um, but one, one of the area, one of the things I did want to touch on, because one of the uh, key verses that are going to come up in a discussion with women doing evangelism, and I think women are central to evangelism. I think women are central to redemptive history. So anything I'm saying should not be thought of in any way, shape, or form downplaying the role of Eve, so to speak, in the context of redemption. It's just recognizing that from the very beginning of creation, there is a distinction between male and female, and the scriptures keep that binary alive and well. Our culture wants to eradicate that binary. As a church, we don't want to eradicate that binary. In Galatians 3, does not eradicate that binary. So we want to keep that alive, and we want to keep the roles of male and female alive. Um, but then from there, we need to tease out the implications. What are the implications of that for Pulp preaching? I think the answer is a no. What are the uh, implications of that for evangelism? I'm open to it. And from this standpoint, and so in John chapter 4, Jesus uh, goes to Jacob's well. And he meets the woman at the well, and he tells the woman to go get her husband. And she goes, I don't have a husband. He's like, that's right. You've had five. And the man you're currently with is not. And that's five. That's six. Jesus is the seventh. He's kind of the perfect uh, man. And he uh, says, if you drink of this, you'll have a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And she tells, uh, says to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water. And he says, go call your husband, blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of that, one of the disciples come back, sees him talk to a woman, um, the woman leaves, and she left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And so basically, people from the towns, and it goes on to say in verse 39, Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So the idea that the Samaritan woman went back to her town and preached and announced in some regard to the whole town uh, who Jesus is, could he be the Christ, he's revealed everything to me, and people started coming out and uh, believing because of the woman's testimony. Um, and that language there is tied into Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17. It says, the spirit and the bride, the spirit and the bride. So the Samaritan woman becomes a bride. She's impure. She's a mixed between um, Gentile and Jewish blood. So she's Samaritan. So she's mixed. And she's uh, and here she is. She becomes a bride to Jesus in uh, that, that chapter. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Um, uh, yeah, take the water of life without price. And so I, I believe that what's going on here is that the spirit and the bride, uh, which is female, the bride is female in scripture, is involved in the invitation to the world to come and see that Jesus is in fact the Christ. So we see that in John chapter 4. We also see that in Revelation chapter 22. And I think women play a central role in the work of evangelism. And so uh, I'm a little bit torn on exactly how that plays out in open-air preaching. Um, but what I'm fundamentally open to is women's central role in an aspect of evangelism. And then that kind of ties into the idea of, well, what does it look like when we gather as a church? And so um, here are two young Christian men asking that question at the end of the day, and you'll hear a very brief interaction with uh, some unbelievers who are listening in, and they're actually fairly respectful of the idea and stuff like that. Um, so here's that clip. I have a quick question. Yeah, good. Um, 
So, what what are your views about like women in church like leadership roles, etc.? Uh, I don't think they should be in leadership roles in the church. Uh, I think part of what's going on, I, I think, I think you know, there, I realize people are going to say it's it's cultural, but I would say we all no man wants to follow a woman. Uh, generally speaking. And when they do want to be leadership and authoritative, they come across as B-I-T-C-H's um, because I would say it's the nature of what it means to be female, what nature of what it means to be male. And so within that context, I think there's what the church is. The church, God bless you, man. Take care. Thank you. Uh, the church, the church, biblically speaking, the church in Israel is often presented as female. And so when uh, we preach in a church, when you teach in a church, it's God speaking to his bride, the church. And so I, I even think the symbolism of what's going on in the church is the relationship between God, who is presented as male, and the church, which is female. And so the husband-wife relationship in the home is to reflect Christ's love for his church. So the husband in a church is a Christ-like figure. The female in the church is a church-like figure. So even from the structure of the home to the structure of the church to the structure of, I would even say, civil authorities ought to reflect uh, a reality of, of what I would just call as male headship. And so in general, um, you know, you're, you're going to have a few men that think they're liberated and want to follow women, but in, in general, it, it, it's not, no accident that history has been dominated by leadership, in a sense, by men. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. It's not just because it's been this socially constructed thing. You can fight against it all you want. It's just just what it is. You know what I mean? And if men want to dominate women on this campus, they can dominate women on this campus, generally speaking. You're going to have the occasional Ronda Rousey, fine. Um, but in general, men are stronger. They're more authoritative. They're this. Uh, so, so in general, I, I think it's part of the natural order of things that men... Uh, are heads of their household and heads of the churches. Um, so, so um, I ask because you know it's a hot topic right mm -hmm. now. And mm -hmm. of course, uh, me, I don't have like one view one way or the other. Mm -hmm. uh, my church was always led by a male until recently. Mm -hmm. uh, he left, and now we have two co-pastors. One is male, one is female. Mm -hmm. What type and, of church is it? Uh, it's a Bible church. Okay. And uh, Stillwater Bible. No, uh, back in Dallas. Okay. Uh, which um, our pastor was, uh, I'm not sure if you would know, uh, uh, Pete Briscoe. I don't know. Uh, wait, okay. does he write a book? I, I feel like I know a Briscoe name. His father and mother do. Okay, is there a Stuart Briscoe? Is, there, is it related? I think that's his okay, father. okay, okay. Uh, so, you know, very, very big family. Uh, and so he uh, went to Dallas, uh, church population of like 6,000. So it's uh, one of the major churches in the area. Mm -hmm. But. Uh, recently, he left. Uh, he is no longer preaching. Uh, just some, you know, personal stuff he has to go through. But uh, now we have two co-pastors, one male, one female, mm -hmm. and both uh, generate good crowds. Mm -hmm. And um, we have like tr uh, leadership roles that females are in. And I actually went to one Bible study, and uh, that was led by one of the women. And one of the topics that we were discussing was. Uh, women in the Bible, women in church. And uh, one of the things that she said was uh, almost everywhere in the Bible you see more of a merit-based system as opposed to, oh, well, she's female, so therefore we're not even going to let her speak. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, in the Old Testament, like uh, you see stuff like to the extreme, like women aren't even allowed to speak in church. Uh, but of course, you know, I don't believe that literally mm -hmm. is more, you know, figurative. But uh, what would you say to that, where it's more merit-based, like if a woman can generate a good crowd and be receptive to what the Spirit has to speak through her, 
then what do you say? Yeah, well, I would just say it's an inversion of roles. So, if, so, and you take our trans, you know, our transgender stuff. So, so in the home, if your dad wants to act like the mother and your mother wants to act like your dad, you're, you're inverting roles yeah. and you're inverting the nature of, of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. So I do think that there's a nature to what it means to be a man and there's a nature to what it means to be a woman. So Paul, even when he's writing the Corinthians, he says, be men. You know what I mean? So, well, what is that supposed to mean? You know what I mean? In our culture, we're like, oh, well, it's all socially constructed. We have no idea what it means to be a man. Um, we have no idea what it means to be a woman. And, and biblically, whenever they paint the picture of the woman, it is the feminine uh, who is, I've nursed you like a child. Paul even does talk about, like, I've nursed you like a nursing mother and blah, blah, blah. And, and so when it comes to the nurturing aspects, it, uh, and even when it comes to God, how he long to gather them as a hen gathers her chicks and stuff like that. And so when the Bible paints, uh, generally speaking, more compassionate pictures. They are uh, they're using feminine ideas and analogies when they're more ma masculine things that are much more dominant. They're using men, and I think so. I do think that that ought to be reflected. And so I don't think it's an issue of merit, but it, um, I would just use the term ontology. This is what it means to be a father. This is what it means to be a mother. So so when you want to separate something and the mom wants to be a dad and the dad wants to be a mom you're just confused and so the woman who wants to be a man in the church is just confused and uh, because the basic idea is that these roles are not ordained naturally by god but there's something that is socially constructed so the old testament was a, their social system determined this whereas like there were no female priests in the old testament why is that adam was the first priest and then he and then he names eve why why is that and so god names all the animals Adam names Eve, and within that, Paul does say, "Man, man is not made for woman, but woman for man. And woman is God's is the man's glory, but the man the man is not the woman's glory." And so I realize it's pretty crazy in our setting, uh, but women and men are actually more free when you're a man and she's a woman. But when you want to confuse those things and make you guys unisex, you're less free and she's less free. Yeah, yeah I, I don't conform to like uh, our settings ideas of what it is to be a man and woman that is all constructed. Uh, I do agree with you that there are certain roles and there are certain, um, uh, like there is a nature of man and a nature of woman and that they are distinctly different. Mm -hmm. And there are very, very few people that like, you know, are confused that um, think that they're the other one. Mm -hmm. and so I, I do agree with you in that. Just, I don't necessarily see how um, in the new, um, in like the new covenant, how like, it's not permissible for women to speak in churches. Yeah, and we'd have to tease out like what we mean by that. So I, when, yeah. I, when it comes to the authoritative preaching of the word to the congregation, I don't, like First Timothy chapter 2, Paul's writing uh, Timothy, and he says, hey, hey look, uh, men are to lift holy hands, not in quarreling and fighting. And the same way women, uh, I do not permit a woman to speak or have authority in church. She must learn in full submission to her husband. Yeah. Um, and then also in 1 Corinthians uh, 14, it says, as I say, in all the churches, I do not permit a woman to uh, teach uh, or have authority in all the churches. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul getting into the marriage relationship uh, wives submit to your husbands as Christ as uh, the church submits to Christ husbands love your wives as Christ love the church so the very nature of that analogous relationship and so I would just say that the men leading the church are analogous to Christ and the, and the bride yeah. and so and it's rooted there in the very beginning of creation and what you have throughout the very and I would even say culturally in some ways that's why you have a trans culture is because in the pulpit you're already trans the, the, the minute you throw a female in there you have a, a female speaking to a female you have a female church God being female speaking to the bride, which is church. So you've already collapsed those categories. So I'd say the symbolism of what's going on when men speak is symbolic of the very beginning of the Bible begins with a wedding and it ends in a wedding. And it's always a male and a female. And it's one-on-one. -on -one. It, you know, so these ideas are like, oh, well, the Old Testament has uh, you know, polygamy. Yeah, they're always errant. It's always been one man, one woman. And it ends with Christ and the church. And so this symbolism from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible. And that's why I think 
even in our own culture, we had a discussion earlier with some people about divorce. That's why these things are so vital and important. And, and the marriage is so important. I think even why Satan attacks marriage is because it's a vital picture of what the gospel is. And the gospel is the man basically going all the way back to the garden. Adam should have killed a serpent and saved his wife. Jesus is the one who kills a serpent and gets the woman. And so one day, if you love a woman, let's say you're fighting demons, you kill the serpent, you get a woman. And so your life is intertwined with that. And so that's the symbolism that's going on in the church, in the broader community, in your family and everything else. You kill the dragon, you get the woman. Adam wants to kill the dragon, get the woman. Satan's the one who fulfills it, kills the dragon, gets the woman. And so what you see going on there is, is a serpent in the book of Revelation gets killed and he gets the bride. And that's, that's, that's what was going on in the Garden of Eden as well, is that uh, Adam was to kill the serpent, get the bride. He didn't do it. Jesus fulfills it. So, so all that stuff is intertwined in what's going on here. So it's not just I, I don't like women. Uh, we love women. And we also love men being men. And they're free when they're able to do that. And men are free. And that binary that people want to eradicate is this going away from each other is actually a good thing and, it, and, it, and because it allows women to reflect the image of God in ways that men can't. Women are, are able to do things like women are infinitely superior to you in some ways yeah. than you are and then you're infinitely superior to women. And so I just have no concept of equality. I have no desire to be equal with women. Zero, zilch. It's not, it's not because I desire to rule over them in any way. In my home, I will rule over my wife, but it'd be a, but not like the Gentiles. The Gentiles are like, get me a sandwich, woman. Uh, the Christian serves, you know what I mean? Uh, Jesus serves his church. He washes their feet. Uh, it's, he doesn't lord it over him. And so even in our culture, that's even one of the things, it gets mistaken from a chismo. And then you get feminism because you do have abusive husbands. And then you get feminism. No, no, no. But what we want to maintain is, nope, men and women are different. Here's how men and women are free and stuff like that. So uh, I would push back any church that's doing that, I think has collapsed categories and uh, and, and is, is feeding, and I've yet to see, honestly, and it, it, it's not to make a straw man, I've yet to see a church not adopt, I grew up in a liberal Episcopal church, adopt female pre preachers that don't cave on the homosexual issue. Because the reality of it is you've already made the homosexual issue in the, in the church. You have a woman marrying a woman in the church when the minute you have a woman speaking, the symbolism is already there. So I think you ultimately will cave on those issues in the long term. Short term, might still be Bible-believing people. Long term, you're gonna cave on a handful of sexual issues and stuff yeah. like that, so. That's how, uh, so my church back home is like that. And actually, my girlfriend, her mom is like a lead pastor there. And, you know, they haven't caved to anything else, but they made the decision that she can be a lead pastor of the church. So there's, it's a huge church, so there's like three or four lead pastors. Uh-huh. Um, but she's one of them, and she went to seminary, she studied everything, and like, um, I, I agree with what you're saying, that there are different roles, and even with the... Um, we were talking earlier about the woman that Jesus called out for not being with her husband. Mm -hmm. Didn't she eventually go around and save the whole village? Yeah, she went back and go, let me get, tell you about the man who told me everything about me. Is he the Messiah? So yeah, the Samaritan woman, uh, John chapter 4, and even part of the beauty of that. And I do think women still play a central role because even in that, so if you read the book of the book of Revelation, the book of John, the book of Revelation is kind of the part two of the gospel of John. And so at the end of the book of Revelation, it says the spirit and the bride says come. That's the same language that she says, come and see the man. So the end of the book of Revelation says, come and see. So the spirit and the bride, and she's now the bride. And so she's now part of the bride. And it's a, yeah, let me. It's, uh, right now, uh, I asked a question about women in leadership. Oh, okay. And so uh, go call your husband, blah, blah, blah. 
But he goes on this, uh, so the woman left her jar, uh, her water jar, and went away to the town, said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I did, can this be the Christ? And so she leaves her jar, the whole thing there is about uh, living waters, and then at the end of Revelation chapter 22, it says, the spirit of the bride say, come, let the one who hears says, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take water uh, of life without price. So I would maintain that women play a central role, uh, even the very nature of Eve, like she's, you're the mother of the living. It was through Eve that the serp, that the child's born, that crushes the serpent's head. And so the woman plays a central role in redemptive history. It's not just a man thing, uh, but the woman plays a central role in childbearing. And even Paul picks that up in First Timothy two that the women will be saved through childbearing. You know what I mean? Blah, blah, blah. Through the childbearing, which I believe is Jesus. And so women play a central role. And that's why all through the Bible you have this question, is she going to get pregnant? Oh my goodness, a virgin's pregnant. Oh my goodness, Sarah's way old, she can't get pregnant. These people can't get pregnant. So you always have these miraculous births and Satan's always attacking the birth of the women because that's how redemption comes. So um, so I would never negate women playing a central role in it. Men need men need women, women need men. Yeah, And that's why Paul says, uh, man's not made for the woman, woman's, uh, woman is man's glory. The, the future... And, and, so, entertaining, so and, and, and so, so I would just say that the the nature of it is men and women need each other. So it's not a it's it's not a machismo thing, uh, nor is it just a feminist thing. It's it's men need women, women need men. Going all the way back to original creation, it's not good for man to be alone. So God gives man a woman, and so men and women need each other. The future is not female. The future is not male. The future is male and female as they need each other. So, so, so. Thank you for explaining. Oh I appreciate it. Yeah. Like, I wish you were up there, not him. Uh, well, I came out here to speak, but he was already here, so I was just, uh, you know, I'll just sit off on the side and interact. So, um, so anyway, so that's why I would, that's why I'd want to push that. But within that, when it comes to the dance in the church of Christ speaking to his bride, it is, I would, I would maintain this is the order of it ought to be. Within that, um, you know. My sister's well-educated. She's really talented, really smart, and stuff like that. And so I don't want to nullify her gifts in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but within that, she'd also recognize that her gifts are not this. Just as my gifts would not be breastfeeding a child. You know what I mean? Simply not going to do it. Um, and so, and I, that's a good recognition to realize there's differences here. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so when she's free to be a woman, she's free. When you're free to be a man, you're free. And when you want to confuse those things, no one's really free. Everything gets turned on its head. So. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. God bless you, man. What's your name again? Cade, Cade, God bless you. God bless you. Stop it. That's a brief interaction you got to hear there regarding uh, women being pastors and a couple ideas regarding women doing evangelism. I think women obviously play a central role in the history of redemption. They play a central role in the church. Um, but exactly what those roles are is the thing that we need to keep in mind and to delineate um, rather than become all too American and suggesting the idea that there's you know the, these boundaries are really just a, a cultural gaps. But there is something about the nature of a man, something about the nature of a woman, and it plays into the nature of redemptive history and I think we need to uh, articulate that clearly to our neighbors because it does just seem like an arbitrary and capricious thing that if a woman can speak well and the crowds want to listen to her in a church, uh, why can't that be done? Uh, we're very pragmatic in those ways, and we don't think there is much status to what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, and we don't have it in the context of redemptive history. And as Christians, we want to keep that. So if you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations regarding anything I said on this episode, feel free to reach out to me on the Twitter, Campus Evangel. You can email me, Keith, at campuspreacher.com. Uh, you can also go to um, the Instagram on Campus Preacher, I believe I am, and then also my website, campuspreacher.com. You can contact me uh, there. Thank you very much for listening. Lord bless you. Keep you. Talk to you next week. Bearing precious seed in his hand, hoping and hope that.